Welcome back to the Mostly Legal Podcast. For all you first-timers, the purpose of the show is to take a never-before-seen look behind the curtains of law firms and talk, laugh, and share all the wild secrets with the people in the business of law. I'm Rob Joyner, VP of Sales and Marketing at Centerbase. And I'm Amanda Copeless. I've been in law firm leadership for longer than I'd care to admit. Throughout the years, I've had amazing experiences with law firm leaders at all stages of their career. I'm especially impressed when I meet leaders who have already accomplished so very much early in their career. Jenna Carter and Chastity Deckard are two such women. They're going to wow you with their credentials and then amaze you with their achievements. You know Rob and I hate to share the spotlight, so hopefully our jealousy won't be too evident throughout the show. Let's get started. Hey Chastity, can you introduce Jenna for us? Of course. Who run the world? Girls. Today we have Jenna Carter, (laughs) one of my fellow brown skin girls in law firm management as the director of administration at KLNL Gates in Washington, D.C., and a servant leader on the board of directors for the Association of Legal Administrators. She has taught me how to get information as we both climb the ranks in the business of law. Jenna, she's a boss, she's a leader with the degrees to match. She has a bachelor's in psychology and a master's in accounting, one of my favorite ALA divas that shows up flawless and ready to work. While she works hard and has a very established career, she plays hard as well. She's originally from Vegas, so what else would you expect? As Queen Beyonce once stated, me and my baby, we gonna be all right. We gonna live a good life. Jenna Carter is a single mother of a 21-year-old diva, and what an amazing life they're living. Hello, and welcome, Jenna. Yay! (laughs) I love it. I love it. That was that was really over the top, and that's exactly what I'm the kind of energy I'm hoping you guys continue to bring for this. Um, Jenna, it's your turn. Well, thank you, Chastity, for such an unbelievable introduction. And hello, um, almost legal podcast family. I would like to introduce you to Chastity Deckard, a woman of color. That if you will allow her, she will upgrade you and your law firm with her dynamic leadership and energizing presence. As a director of administration at Pillsbury Winthrop Shaw Pittman in their Houston and Austin offices, she is also a servant leader on the Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Accessibility Committee for the Association of Legal Administrators. She is the president of Houston Association of Legal Recruiting Administrators. She has taught me that if I work hard, if I grind till I own it, I just have to twirl on those haters. That's what Beyonce says. But Chastity is a young powerful millennial leader with the paper to match. And by paper, I mean degrees. She has a bachelor's in communication sciences and disorders and a master's in occupational workforce and leadership skills. She is definitely a fashionista and a sister from another mister with her style, wit, and love for brunch. She has definitely zoomed up the career path by working hard and she is bigger than life from Texas. Hello and welcome Chastity. I am getting overrun already, Rob. I, I cannot even believe this is happening so soon. In. <laughs> I feel like we need to work some Beyonce music into the uh, yes, can into we the get, podcast somehow. Can we get that? Can we uh, pay for that or whatever? Or maybe somebody should just sing some Beyonce. How about that? that that's not me, Jenna. I'll save that no, one for you. No, karaoke. <laughs> Too soon. <laughs> My only karaoke is to 90s rap, so sorry, I'm out too. I was going to say something there, Amanda, and I thought for a few seconds, and I paused, and I decided not to. Did you uh, About you and karaoke. Oh, yeah? Yeah, well, I mean, you might as well throw it out. 
No, that's okay. Let's move on. So okay. one of my favorite things to start the podcast with is hearing from both you guys, Jenna and Chastity, how did you guys get into legal administration? So can you talk about your path uh, into the positions you're currently in? Sure, I can start. Um, so I had a very interesting path to legal administration. I actually um, got into it very happenstance. I graduated from the University of Texas in December with a degree in speech pathology with all plans on going to grad school for speech pathology. I had a bit of a break because um, I was planning on starting grad school in August. And probably in February, my parents were like, hey, you graduated. We're done paying these bills. You kind of have to find a job. And I was like, oh, this is adulthood. Like, what is going on here? Welcome to life. <laughs> and so I started my career search and I was working with the head Hunter and found an HR um, coordinator position at a small law firm called Brown Carroll in Austin. And I was like, well, this would be great. And I had this great HR experience from my high school job, um, summer job at Splashtown. I started working at Splashtown when I was 16. I worked there. All of my friends were there. It didn't really make that much sense for me at the time. I don't know how to swim working at a huge water park. So that was a lot of fun. Um, but my friends were there. We got a free season pass to Astroworld. And so on our off days and some people, the days they were scheduled to work, we just all kind of went up to Astroworld and hung out there. Um, so my first year at Splashtown, I worked in food service. I put in my two weeks when my summer was over and I was getting ready to return to school. And I told them like, hey, I can't work this last Saturday. Little Bow Wow and B2K, they're going to be in town for a concert. <laughs> so I need to go to this concert. I, I will not be work. They're like, oh, no, well, you have to work your two weeks. We don't know what's going to happen for next year. And I was like, yeah, Bow Wow is kind of more important than Splashtown right now. So... <laughs> went to the concert next year it's time for me to come back to Splashtown. they were like oh yeah you have this conditional rehire status they don't want you back in food service however we have this cool job in hr and there's a great opportunity you can be the mermaid at Splashtown. Oh um God. would you like this and i was like sure it was like 7.25 an hour so i was like this is a huge raise for me <laughs> Um, of course, I would love to do it. So I was the mermaid on some days and I'm on the back wall of the wave pool, dancing as a mermaid, going through the park in the costume and then working in HR. And I guess I did true HR stuff. I processed payroll and did some orientations and recruiting and got to know everyone. But it was like 15 and 16 year old. But on my resume, it looked amazing. So that is my long journey to my first <laughs> HR coordinator job at a law firm in Austin. And I just kind of worked my way up um, starting there and work my way up through the ranks. I feel like if you could be an HR coordinator for 15 and 16, 17 year olds, you can pretty much handle most law firm antics, right? Like I, I agree. A lot of similarities <laughs> there that you wouldn't even think about, but there, there are definitely some similarities there. I remember being a teenage worker and I was a terrible employee. So I can't imagine having to do HR. Like I was washing dishes and I would just say, yeah, that pot, it's got a lot of stuff at the bottom of it. I'm just going to walk away. Like <laughs> I was a terrible employee. So, uh, well, good. That's awesome. And so you went to Brown McCarroll, right? Which is a, they are a, a Texas based 
firm, right? Yes. And so Brown McCarroll, I think, um, so I still actually had plans on going to grad school for speech pathology. So I was at Brown McCarroll for a year. The following year, we actually merged with Hush Blackwell um, and became a more national firm. So that was a cool experience. So I deferred um, my grad school experience another year because I was like, oh, what is this like, you know, being at a, a bigger firm and having multiple offices all across the country? Like, I want to experience this. And so it was at that time, um, going through a merger and just seeing how that worked. I was an HR coordinator, but they were telling us everyone's keeping their jobs during the merger, but all HR, it's going to be in Kansas City and St. Louis. So I was like, well, my job's in HR. I'm not moving to Kansas City or St. Louis. <laughs> what does this mean for me? And then came the office administrator position um, when our office managing partner kind of came and talked to me. He was like, you have great relationships with everyone. Um, they didn't want to bring in anyone new, I'm assuming, after a merger. They kind of wanted to keep some consistency there. And so um, our former COO, she sat me down and she was like, you know, HR, recruiting, that's a great path. But I think office administration the pathway there is greater. So this should be something you consider. So I was like, sure, why not? And that's kind of how it started with me. And so then you, you've done that same role. Now, this is your third national firm that you've done this, that same role for. Yes. So I was an office administrator for just Austin, went through everything, moved from our attorneys having dedicated secretaries to rolling out legal support teams in Austin. And then I rolled those out in Dallas as well. And so I was also given the office administrator role for Dallas. I would travel back and forth, Austin and Dallas. Oh, and this yeah. was while I was in grad school. So wow. I was going to grad school, traveling back and forth. And then my final semester of grad school, while doing all of that, I also did a practicum at the University of Texas. And I worked with Texas athletics with their student athletes, helping transition them from their sport to the real world. So I helped build and create their resumes and do assessments for them, help them get internships. So it was a very busy semester working full time, more than 40 hours a week, managing multiple offices. But it was it was a great experience. I was just going to ask if she kept up with her Sunday fun days during that busy semester. Sunday fun days were a must. Um, yes, they, I was still Sunday fun day. And I mean, I knew eventually I wanted to get back to Houston, even living in Austin. So I would spend my weeks in Austin or Dallas, but every weekend almost I was back in Houston <laughs> and Sunday fun day with my friends, not making it back to Austin Sunday night, but getting up early Monday morning, driving or flying back to Austin for work. So Sunday fun day has been there. So I'm exhausted just listening to that. I know, seriously. <laughs> like, again, remember I told you they were overachievers? So, yeah. I, so let's digress because that's what we do on this show. Jenna and Chastity, were, we started this before we started recording, talking about Sunday Fun Day. And I really feel like we have an audience that might not know what this is because we don't drink and then go to work in the morning because we are all old and our bodies would hate us. So uh jenna so so, so sunday <laughs> sunday is fun more day. than drinking to clarify so from the yeah. fabulous cities of washington dc and in texas we have this thing on sundays where we just wrap up the weekend whether it's you know you go to brunch or you do a picnic or you go biking and it's like a whole day of just wrapping it up now Amanda's right. Sometimes mimosas are involved and right. there might be a little partying and dancing involved, but it's Sunday, Sunday to wrap it up and get ready for the work week. It's a millennial thing. 
Right. So, yeah. <laughs> and I think the best thing about Sunday Funday for me is like you're home by eight or nine o'clock. So you're exactly. not out past midnight and you, you can, get, you know, take a shower, go to bed and be well rested for your Monday at work instead of being out to two or three in the morning, which I think is crazy. Um, so I think it's like the perfect day to get out, have fun, do your thing, meet with your friends, because a lot of us are in, you know, high pressure careers and jobs. And it's just a way to kind of get out, relax, have some mimosas and enjoy the sun. Rob, let me this tell is you, for we... people who do not have three-year-old twins. FYI. Well, well I'm just thinking like, <laughs> yeah, I have three-year-old twins, but bottomless mimosas going all day long, like cutting it off at 8 or 9 p.m., that always sounds like a good idea, but I would never be able to do that. I would just keep and, going. And we, Chastity and I, we perfected it. It's yeah. a whole thing. It's an alarm on your phone at like 7, you nice. know, get the water going, get the Uber rolling. It's, it's a thing because our careers are very important to us. Yeah. Bags under our eyes are not acceptable, okay? this The, the, the cover-up concealer for that is not going to work. The hair has to be done, so. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and my, my friends know, like, they'll continue on and the next spot, next spot, I'm like, hey, my Uber is outside. I am getting in and going home because there's no next spot after 8 p.m. for me. (laughs) And let's see what my Sunday fun day involves making sure the homework is done, packing lunches for the next day, working. Um, So you guys have definitely mastered the work-life balance, I think, better than a lot of other people have. And I need a Sunday fun day. I I just need to to plan ahead. What a coincidence. (laughs) What a coincidence. I need one very soon. Well, I have to say Sunday Funday did not start for me until my daughter was like 16, right? There is no way you're doing that with a young kid. But the minute she was like driving and doing her own thing, mom was gone. Mom was living her best (laughs) life. Okay. Are you okay? Is your permit good? You know, drive one of these hours. And mom is over here being safe, doing the thing. But mom's a happier mom with Sunday Funday. So So, so Jenna, yeah, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you uh, got into legal administration? Well, mine starts at a very, very young age. Um, my mom was a legal secretary trained in England, half British. And I remember at a young age, and she took me to work. It was a like, really rainy day, and it was all this old wood, you know, the old desk and law firms. I just remember seeing her typing away at like a million words an hour or a minute right and then i went to high school uh, in vegas and it was i did pre-law with the intentions of going to law school and being a lawyer that changed very quickly when i applied and the lsats didn't go so well but that's okay and so i went got my undergrad in psychology first because i wanted to know what was wrong with me i mean other people i wanted to understand <laughs> the psychology of people so i was like why do people do these things and so psychology uh, was the best way to do that and then what'd you figure out i figured out people are crazy and i don't want to know uh, why fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. people are crazy and i don't want to know why you no know, and people have different motivations and the goal is to try to find out what motivates them. It's not about me, it's about how to motivate them to get them to do what I need them to do to be successful. And I feel like that's a part of leadership, right? You need to, how are we all gonna pull in the same direction? And it's different approaches for different people. So I definitely use all those tools um, every day. I, I can tell you a story really quickly. One of my professors said, there's a person on the ledge, how are you gonna get them off the ledge? And I started like 
trying to convince him, come down, sir, you know, your family to live for, all these things. And he kept saying, no, I'm going to jump. And I said, well, just give me your pin number before you jump. Don't let it all go to waste. And the, the, the teacher goes, you're probably not going to be good for this field. You might want to figure out something else. So that was the start of that. So I wrapped up my psychology undergrad at University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Woo, go running rebels. And I uh, was doing that at the same time as being a bill collector, which is super fun when people hang up on you and yell at you. So those skills transferred into the legal field. And then um, 9-11 happened and I'm from a military family, uh, uh, Air Force mainly. Um, My grandfather was in the Royal Air Force and my father was in the U.S. Air Force. And so I would say, you know what, 9-11, I'm going to take my degree. I'm going to go into JAG. Um, and then, then I had my kid, it was a whole thing. So I said, you know what, I'm going to do TSA. Talk oh, about decisions man. that will haunt you for the rest of your life. <laughs> uh, when you told me at dinner one time <laughs> that you worked for TSA, I, I couldn't do anything until I talked to you about this because I think it, that what a fascinating job. So tell us, what is it like to work for TSA? So I'm not going to use the short version. I'll make sure you understand it's the Transportation Security Administration. No other, not credit union, not your favorite like shopping center. This is literally <laughs> the security people for the federal government. So before TSA were federalized, it was like very privatized. And when they formed it, it was very fast and quick and they didn't have all the things in place. So when I started there after 9-11, I said, I can do something for my country and I could do that. But remember, I'm in Vegas. So as I started doing that job, which I did for 365 days to the year. I said, I will never have a job for less than one year. And that was it. Can you imagine me checking someone's bag who was left from a fun-filled weekend in Vegas? Okay, Mm. the bags, the chlorination, and the other miscellaneous things that were going on in that bag, I had to really assess my life. I have a degree in psychology, okay? I make $21,000, and I have a kid. This is not it. This is not it. And so going through that year, you know, I actually stopped some drug mules. It was interesting. Penn and Teller came through a couple of times. But my favorite (laughs) moment was when Mike Tyson approached the MAG detector, which is the security detector to come through. And he had two women in his arms. And you have to come through the MAG detector alone, not touching anyone. But he refused. He's like, no. I'm coming in with my, my two girls. And I said, no, sir, you have to come in unattached. And he said, no, I want to come in with my two girls. I said, Mr. Tyson, please let them go. And he refused. I said, you know, supervisor. So, of course, because it's Mike Tyson, they let him go through with the two girls, you know, Shut one in a straight up. line. Through the, I was like, all right, that's fine. That's cool. Whatever. So that was a very interesting moment, of course. Uh, but TSA was just... You know, I think a lot of my people skills come from there, Um, navigating, negotiating, having people to sit down, stand up, spread your legs, all the things (laughs) (laughs) that you may or may not need in the career field going forward. Um, So that um, was that. But then I said, you know what, this is not going to be the life of my child, right? We grew up very poor in Las Vegas. And I said, I'm going to do better. I have my degree. And so my stepmother worked on the case for Martha Stewart. She was one of the secretaries. She said, you know, why don't you just move to D.C.? And there's a law firm everywhere. You just drop a penny out the window. It's a law firm. You can get a job anywhere. And I said, okay. 
So I came out, drove across country in three and a half days with my daughter and my chihuahua. And <laughs> in the middle of winter, did I say I'm from Las Vegas? Uh-huh. I don't know what yeah. winter is. I have no idea what snow looks like. A blizzard, what's a blizzard? Is that a thing from Dairy Queen? I don't know, right? So I'm driving <laughs> across the country in the middle of December and I hit Tennessee and I can't see anything. It's all white and I'm like, freaking out. I have no snow tires. I like, I don't, I, I barely have a jacket for this weather because you don't need a puffy anything. Finally make it to DC, apply for jobs. I get a job in two weeks at the beginning of January as a receptionist for a sole practitioner over a couple of months. This be my law office administrator. I said, sure. I had no idea what that meant, but I knew <laughs> that it came with a $3,000 raise. I'm going to take that money and I'm going to do whatever it takes. And then I switched from that firm to a two owner law firm. And that is when I said, okay, I'm dealing with 401k payroll. I have no idea what the concepts that are going on here. I should probably go back to school and understand what's going on here. So that's when I went and got my master's in accounting focus with a controllership. So I say my psychology degree plus my master's degree, I manage crazy on a budget. That's literally what I do every day. I manage crazy on a budget. That is amazing. That's my elevator pitch. I can't describe my job any other way. I don't know if Chastity can in 10 words or less, but that's literally what we do. We try to manage this business in a way that no one can see the crazy happening behind the scenes the attorneys don't want to know the staff don't want to see the side but you're trying to manage it all successfully so been doing that um and then i went to hush now this is when the love story between chassis and i started mm-hmm. was wow. i was think i was there for like a year and a half or two and then chastity came on and one of the things about my career is that i have been the first person of color woman of color in those roles and so it was awesome to see that chastity got the role even after a merger because it's like a weird thing after a merger no one knows what's going to happen and chastity came on board and they introduced her she started talking i was like she has an accent she's like i don't have an accent see yes you do she's like you have an accent so (laughs) (laughs) so we went on retreat and i just instantly fell in love like she's super intelligent very thoughtful and i said i just have to know this person so we would message each other and ask questions and Um, By now I have like, what, five, six years in, she's just starting. So I was like, let me help this person. And that has been the crux of our like friendship and our professional relationship from 2016, I think, until like now we have always like pushed each other to the point of where we are in our career. So went there, went to Hush, worked at Hush, loved my uh, job there, got a great opportunity brought to me uh, for Ropes and Gray in DC, loved doing that four and a half years. And then my ultimate job, which is director of administration, opened up at KNL Gates, I applied and I'm here. Started during COVID, never started a job during pandemic people. <laughs> ever, <laughs> ever, 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 ever started a job during. So that has been my path um, to lead, well, from leadership. You guys talk a lot about the mentorship and we have that's kind of been a resounding theme on a lot of our other episodes and also the transition and the path of being an office administrator and kind of working it up. And so we, we love hearing those stories, even though they're very similar, everybody has their own kind of take on it. Right. One of the things I find fascinating about both of you is this is where I'm going to do a little bit of self-promotion, which is why my name's on the podcast. Uh, one of the things <laughs> Keep going. 
one of the the things when I met Chastity that I was the most fascinated by is that she was one of the youngest people doing what she was doing, right? And so when I started out my first law firm, I was 25 when I went into my first firm administrator job, and I didn't know anything about life, let alone about law firm management. And so when I started in the Austin chapter of the Association of Legal Administrators, I was the youngest person that became president and all this stuff. And so I I feel like I've succeeded a lot. I've, you know, become the young person and I've made my mark. And then Chastity shows up and I'm like, God dang it, this girl's like (laughs) 10 years younger than me. (laughs) And she's already so much farther ahead. And Oh, she's getting her master's degree. And I mean, you know, it's like, oh my gosh. I was traveling back and forth at the same time you were from Austin to Dallas, but I was not also getting a master's degree at the same yeah. time. So uh, definitely impressive. That kind of transitions, self-promotion over, transitions into what I wanted to ask you both about. And you both are considered millennials, right? And I think that people don't realize that millennials are now turning 40 because they get so much flack, right? They think of the ones that are sitting in their cubicles that are 18 years old, TikToking all day. That's not millennials anymore. And you guys have gotten a bad rap. And I am millennial adjacent. Rob is full millennial because he's like 18 and a half. And I'm 33. Okay. 30, whatever. Rub it in. I have recently heard a term that I know is going to give at least two of you hives, and that is the term of geriatric millennial. I guess this article came out basically saying that we need to focus on this group of subset from people that are born from like at the end, at the high end age of millennials. So have you guys heard the term geriatric millennial? (laughs) I have heard the term don't quite fit in that bracket but um a little a little younger and i do love a good tiktok but um sunday funday sunday funday for tiktoks but i i I have heard the term i don't know if it's my job or you know being high performing but i think i remember sitting at a conference and this was a conference that you know at the time i think i'd already gone to two and i was like but i still want to go to this one so i actually paid out of pocket to go to this conference and it was um, a session on millennials in the workplace and everyone on the panel was like 40 50 plus and this was some years ago so i was sitting there like ah this is very interesting that they're having this you know millennials are awful they don't want to work we have to make all these accommodations and i was like I paid out of pocket for travel for this conference to come here and like learn and just to like sit here for an hour and get bashed. So I do think millennials, they, they do kind of get like a bad rap. And it is interesting because I do think that there are different subsets of millennials and how they're classified. And then the young, like you said, the young teenagers and the people eating the Tide Pods, those are not millennials. And so <laughs> I do think that there is Wait. a the Tide Pods? Yes. Being a Tide Pod yes. is not a millennial. That's, That's not a, a millennial. That's a Gen Z. There's a difference there. He's Rob, did you sleep. eat a Tide, tide Pod? Writing it down. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thing. It is a thing. They were they were eating them. But I told myself, like hearing that, like I will not be the Gen Z basher because I felt that a lot as a millennial listening to the older generations as people were coming into the workplace. Like, let's help guide them. There are differences, of course, but let's figure out how to make this this stuff work. Well, it's interesting because the article I was reading said that we're relying on geriatric millennials to make a hybrid workplace work. 
right? Because this is the group of people who had an analog childhood, but a digital adulthood, right? So you were, Mm -hmm. you were, you grew up without a cell phone, but you had a cell phone when you were like late high school or getting into college. But the reason that subset of generation is so important to the hybrid workforce is that they are able to communicate both in written and face-to-face. They can understand the subtext behind an email, but then they can look and realize facial cues. You know, we're not going to bash on Gen Z's, but that is one thing that they are not known for is being able to read facial cues because they do so much of their communication digitally. So I just thought it was fascinating that they've been bashing you for so long and now all our hopes and dreams of making hybrid workforces work are based on people born in this five-year time frame. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's just about like, I don't know, I guess I don't like classifying people, but, you know, understanding how they're different and then trying to help. You know, I, I totally agree with you, Amanda. Some of the Gen Zs that work for me, they're not going to pick up the phone and make that phone call. They're going to shoot an email. Mm-hmm. And knowing that going in, and have those conversations and make sure that we're doing the right things. You know, I try to pay attention to that, but I don't think much of it other than that. Do you guys want to have a little quick quiz to figure out whether you are a geriatric millennial or not? Let's go. You ready? Do it. (laughs) Okay. Do you have a Hotmail, Yahoo, or AOL email address? No. Yes. No. (laughs) Did you ever make a mixtape? Yes. Of course. (laughs) Did your mixtape ever feature Boys to Men or Mariah Carey? Yes. (laughs) No. Girls. (laughs) (laughs) Was your biggest goal in life to one day travel to New York City so you could stand outside of MTV's TRL with Carson Daly? No. (laughs) Absolutely not. Do you know what the save icon on your computer is referring to? Yes. Yes. Have you ever saved anything to a floppy disk? Yes. Yes. Okay. Organ trail anyone? Yeah. Know. Well, you're also Absolutely. organ trail generation, by the way. <laughs> um, do you still kind of miss your Motorola Razor? Oh, yes. I have the pink yeah. one. Yes. <laughs> Are you mad about that one time you were 98% through downloading a song on Napster and then your mom picked up the phone? Oh my gosh. (laughs) I remember those days. Um, Does the sound of white noise followed by three little ding, ding, dings known as dial up internet make you feel warm and fuzzy inside? Nostalgic. Definitely. (laughs) Um, okay. The very last one. You will stop wearing skinny jeans when they peel them from your cold, dead body. Yes. yes. I hated that yeah. whole <laughs> millennials wear skinny jeans. I'm, this is it. Like, this is, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with it. I'm sticking with my skinny jeans. <laughs> I mean, skinny or not, I am sk- sticking with my skinny jeans. Yeah. Mom jeans and me. No, I'm not doing it. Even when I was, I'm not, and I'm a mom. I'm not doing it. <laughs> When you're a little curvy, mom jeans are just like parachute pants, just so everybody knows. (laughs) Okay, so one last one. Have you ever used the word chuji? I've seen it and I read about it, but I've never used that word. Rob, you have an employee who in an email to me 
wrote the word shuji not too long ago. I, I don't know what it means. It's the it's the most cringy way to say cringy that there ever was. Does that make sense? Like it means cringy, but instead yeah, I'm sitting here googling it. Oh my god. <laughs> I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. Wouldn't that be terrible if I'm saying it wrong? We'd have to. Yeah, that would be. That would be no, crazy. we'd leave it. We'd oh, definitely know, leave it out. I know. We, we wouldn't take it, it out. Those <laughs> okay. are pretty good. You left uh, one out, though. What did I leave out? The one that we talked about yesterday. The top sheet. Oh, well, that's the, that's the list of things millennials have killed, right? So uh, there's another list of things millennials have killed. One of them is chain restaurants like Applebee's and mm-hmm. Olive Garden blame millennials for their failures and not their terrible food. It couldn't be the menu. Couldn't be right. <laughs> that has nothing to do with it. And it's our happy hour specials food. are not happy. So <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I mean, one dollar um, margaritas, those are great. But like how many are okay. No, you guys have killed cereal? Uh, we have to fit in our skinny jeans. The <laughs> cereal has sugar. Who's eating that? <laughs> and, and, and I only drink almond milk. So right. I mean. This is not working well in my cereal. So it's not mixing. Uh, fabric softener? We go to dry cleaner. Okay. So. <laughs> okay. Well, you guys are a little extra than most millennials, but uh, Rob, you probably dry clean too. I don't know what I'm talking. About. I, I, I wasn't even gonna add, you know jump in there because I knew you were gonna say something. But uh, yeah, you're, listen, you have to dry clean because if your shorts get any shorter, they will just disappear. Ooh, burn. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And then I guess the one thing I told you about, Rob, is that they say millennials have killed the top sheet. Which is, I had to explain to you, it means it's the sheet that goes on top of your body, but underneath your comforter or blanket or, uh, you know, duvet or whatever you want to call it. I still have a top sheet. I do too. I mean, there's something. Did you know it was called a top sheet? Yeah. Yeah. There's a fitted sheet, the top sheet, sheet. there's a duvet, there's all the things. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that one was a little ridiculous. So basically, they're blaming you for all these things, and you are, in fact, killing all of them. Great. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to stay on this youthful topic. Okay. uh, Or trend, I guess you can call it. But shift back to legal and working in a law firm. You know, Amanda and I were talking yesterday, and and we've both experienced, and I'm sure you guys have as well, being young leaders, having people that work for you that are older than you. How has that been for you? How have you dealt with it? Can you talk about that some? Sure. I think for me, especially starting off, I mean, I was 24, office administrator, and Hush at the time had about 50 attorneys. I think what I would say made me most successful is like I had relationships with my team and my staff prior to being in the leadership role. Um, And I really valued those relationships and those connections. And I didn't change, you know, my leadership style much because I knew the people and I never had the I'm your boss, you must listen. Like, I've always been very collaborative. How can I help you be more successful Uh in your role and doing things like that? So I think that helped me um, quite a bit being younger. I do think it was a bit of a challenge when I was, you know, I had a team of individuals who I didn't have those relationships with and then going into a place and implementing something like a legal support team that a lot of people did not want and we didn't have a lot of buy-in. So I was coming in as this person that was doing something to them that they necessarily didn't want to do. So I think 
that was a bit of a challenge, but figuring out how to get these people on my side, like, what can I do? I never got a lot of pushback or how old are you, or you can't tell me what to do. I never really felt that in my role, but I, I really think it, it was because of my relationship building and my people skills to kind of get everyone to work together to accomplish whatever it was that we need to accomplish. I also removed my dates of graduation off my resume because I knew I I was young. Um, And when I knew it was time for me to kind of start interviewing, I didn't want that to be something that stopped me from getting a job. If they met me in person, I I guess you see me, you could tell that I'm young. But at that point, I know I'm down to the last few people. So I'm going to remove these dates and like meet with them. And then you're going to have to force yourself. Is it really an issue that she's this young and she has this experience? Is age really going to be a thing? And some places, I think it was. um, Other places, not so much. And that's how I was able to kind of move up. Rob, so what she's saying is that the problems you and I have experienced managing people older than us is because we don't have the people skills. (laughs) 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 Well, she talked about being a servant leader, right? And coming coming in with that approach. And I would say the same. Uh, I've never promoted up. I've always come in, right? So I'm always coming cold. I started at 25. Somebody was crazy enough to put me in charge of their million dollar law firm with no experience. And, you know, it just went from there. I, I think my success comes from one, the people who hired me saw something in me that they were willing to work with. They said, you know what, she may not have everything we want, but she has the at- attitude, right? We can train right. her, um, we can lift her up, we can support her. And I think when you walk in, knowing that someone has said, I want Jenna, I want Chassie, I want Amanda, I I want these people. You already have the credibility, so you don't need to go in and continually prove yourself right on that level, like walking around with a big stick and I'm in charge. Mm -hmm. You already have the title. But also understanding when you walk in to say, I may be the director, but I literally at this pyramid, I'm not at the top, I'm at the very bottom. My job is to make sure each and every person at this firm is supported from my receptionist to the firm's chief operating officer and head attorney. I work for them. And when you have that kind of servant style, people don't feel like you're overbearing. And when you're young, they're like, oh, you know, she wants to help me. But another thing I think Chastity might agree, I was told because I was a millennial, don't come in and try to change everything because Mm -hmm. you're young and because it's not broken. Well, guess what? It went from the carriage with the horse and the wooden wheel to like run flat tires. There are some improvements (laughs) that we can make. Mm Mm-hmm. But the way I do change management, and I hope you've all seen the movie The Office, oh yeah, where yes. he's pinched the desk every day into the guys like an alley. That's literally what happens when I manage <laughs> your business. You go from the Pinto to the Ferrari. You be like, how did I get here? Don't worry about it. You right. are here, and you didn't feel a thing. Right. And I think that's how we treat people because they. We're coming with a smile and our energy is so big. Like I've heard that, Amanda, you may have felt it. I come in the room, I'm like, hi guys, and positivity and all the things. And I want us to win. When they, when you are that coach and they believe, you got to be authentic too. Don't lie. If you're not really into it or into what's going on, be authentic because people can read you up and down and that will damage your credibility. Speaking of the way that you guys come into a room, you both started to talk about this in your intro, but you are the two most best dressed people I've ever met, right? (laughs) I will come to an event. Like I showed up at my first board meeting and I came in and I thought I was looking cute. Had some like wedge sandals on and I had a little like dress or whatever. Jenna comes floating in with like (laughs) 
five inch heels and this beautifully pressed jacket. I'm like, how did you even get that way on the plane? Like, what are you even? And so she's done that to me and Chastity has done it to me too. We were at a party for, uh, at an LA conference and I came in and we had been at, you know, we'd been upstairs like doing conference all day and we come down for this reception and I changed and I thought, haha, outfit change, right? And I go and I look at Chastity and she has not only done like an outfit change, but this is like a look change, right? Like this is an entirely different person who has come in top to bottom. I said, what, like, how big is the suitcase you would have to bring (laughs) (laughs) to get all of this amazing looks there? Um, But I actually told a story about you, Jenna, on the episode where we had Judy Hissong and April Campbell, because April loves shoes, right? And one time I had these brand new tennis shoes and we walk into um, a bar and I have my new shoes on and Jenna walks up. I'm like, yeah, like, you know, I got these shoes and she looks over at April's shoes and she's like, yeah, but those are better. They're from Nordstrom's. (laughs) 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 And, and, And going into that, okay, one more compliment. They also know how to work filters on phones better than anybody I've ever met. Like one of my favorite pictures of me, I was trying to take a selfie and Jenna goes, give me that phone. And she grabs my phone. She puts all these filters on it. She takes it. And I'm like, oh my God, that's like the best picture that was ever taken. (laughs) Well, for the record, that was a natural filter and you are just a muse. Okay. It's all about Let me tell you. It's the angle. It's the angle. Thank you, Chastity. It's It's about lighting and and angles. Okay. We don't need 17 filters. Mm-hmm. So I, I can see beauty and I'm like, okay, angle, chin up, sideways, move the light. It is, you don't need much when you have a great muse. So but that's Jenna, one, yes, and Jenna will check you. Cause even picture Jenna, you, one of the pictures we were doing, you were like, Chastity, what are you doing with your head all down and sticking this head up? Just <laughs> a chin up, head up, and let's, let's get it together. And I was just like, oh my goodness. Like, okay. Do you head- know how hard it is to get two women to agree on a picture to post? It's very hard. <laughs> let's get it right from the beginning. Right? We- so- <laughs> We did ask you both to send pictures of the two of you together for our show notes. So if you can come up with some that you both agree to. <laughs> we can, we will do that. I think, I know we have our standing, like we always take a picture at annual conference. I don't know if we got a picture together at Coachella. Jenna, did we take a picture there? I think oh we gosh. did. I got a picture. Okay. I was cool enough to have gone to Coachella. And that was the Beyonce year. That was so the Beyonce. That's why you keep hearing the Beyonce vibe. Women, like I said in the beginning, Chastity and I have pushed each other like, hey, what are you doing next? What do you need from me? And I'll say the same to her. I made director last year. She made it this year. It doesn't matter. We kept like supporting each other until we got where we want. Now she wants to be queen of Dairy Queen and I want to be <laughs> the coach yeah. of Coachella. Then we're going we're gonna to separate. You're going to support each other yes. along that path. And right. I think that genuine love and support for someone even though we're miles and miles away and we don't know each other's favorite color by the way mine's black what is yours chastity yellow hey <laughs> black and yellow like beyonce to be but right, I, mean, I knew where you're going <laughs> but, queen b of course queen b but i think this i think that's another underlying current be like authentic and see others what they don't see in themselves right because sometimes that one person that says that one thing can amplify someone's attitude and the belief in themselves to take on that challenge and be successful. 
Right. But I can say being authentic, it honestly took me a while to truly feel like I was being myself and bringing my full self to work, being a young leader and manager at a law firm. I was, you know, the black and the blue, the suits, my hair must be professional. Like I like clothes. I like to dress like my style is not black and blue every day. And so it, it really took me a very long time to feel comfortable because I didn't want to be judged like I'm young and I am black and I am a woman and I know all these things about myself. So I didn't want to bring extra attention to myself. And now I'm to a point like I feel very capable and I know that I know what I'm doing. So it's like right now I have on a leopard shirt and some purple pants and it's cute. And and, and this is just what it yes. is. Um, yes. And so it's just like I remember like I was at a firm and I go out the country every year for my birthday I was coming back from Jamaica and I had my friends on a plane like I need y'all to take my braids out of my hair because I cannot show up to work tomorrow with these braids I could not do it hair is currently braided right now with like curly hair in the back and it's like this is just what it is I can do my job I feel very comfortable doing this but being 24 25 like I was not there I felt like I had to play the part and look the role and now I feel like I can look the role like I am the role I want others it's like she dresses how she dresses and that's okay she's still doing a good job so I'm much more comfortable now bringing my full self to work and I would say to that, that is absolutely true. My hair is, is naturally curly. It's all blonde and big puffy and all the things, borderline like lion mane on some days. But then I will straighten it. And I, like Chassie said, I will check myself. Why am I straightening my hair? Why am I wearing my hair curly? Why am I doing these things? And I want to make sure it's for me and not for others, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm walking into the room and I have a firm belief, if you look good, you feel good. And that adds on to my daily, like we're gonna crush it today because I feel like I look good and I'm pulled together. Um, but it took time. You know, I remember one time somebody's like, oh, is that your vacation hair? Like wow. FYI audience, that's not something, say the cultural portion. Do like don't say that. <laughs> like don't rub a pregnant person's belly. Don't touch the hair. Don't talk about being, it's like one of those things just is unnecessary to say, um, it, but it won't, it, some people may not respond well to is that vacation hair or those vacation nails like we're thinking about these things culturally Mm -hmm. Um, but when I come to work you know I am pulled together because guess what I don't want distractions I want you to focus on what the words that are coming out like can you help me get this done but I don't think my hair should be that destruction right I don't think Mm -hmm. whatever so like Chastity said being who we are, we're very cognizant of that. But guess what? We love feeling fabulous in our clothes and having our things and wearing my heels. You know, that's, I love that. <laughs> I'm not doing that for you, Rob. I'm not doing that for Amanda. I, you know my what, feet. Rob, you guys would roll over if you saw what Rob shows up to work in. <laughs> I'm just sitting here listening. They have some great points to make. You know, you've talked a lot about how you coach each other up and how you build each other up having that accountability partner is there any kind of formal cadence to it do you do certain things do you have certain meetups do you do anything to make the process more formal and and working together to try to build each other up i don't think it's anything formal we typically Mm -hmm. invite each other on like our birthday trips and, and things like that but i don't think we have formal 
meetups. It's just kind of like a, a periodic check-in or if there's a big event like Coachella, I was like, oh, you're going, okay, which weekend? Okay, I'm going second weekend. Yeah. We end up staying at the same resort, but it's just kind of, this is just what's happening and going on. I don't think it's anything forced. And I think that's what I like most about it. Like mm-hmm. she's there when I need her, I'm there when she needs me. Um, the good, the bad, the ugly, there's been tears. Like what is going on here? And just having a person to talk to. We've had several of those moments, but we don't have like a regularly scheduled check-in. Jenna, what, what, what would you no, say? No, I would say this relationship started uh, long distance and it'll probably remain a long distance relationship. And I think, <laughs> um, and when you build a long distance relationship with a personal professional, you, you build around certain things and expectations. And I never expected Chastity to call me every day or every week. When she needs something, I become top of mind for certain things to her. There's never a time I've reached, not, I've reached out to her and she's never responded. She may not have been able to do anything and that's okay, but she became top of mind on this issue or that thing or whatever. And so when if I ever go to an ALA conference and she's not there, I'll be like super bummed, but then I'm going <laughs> to like reroute my return flight to come wherever she's at because she got to be doing something fabulous, of course, not to be there. So, Speaking of your travel, so you guys have both travel enough to make me also very jealous. <laughs> But Chastity, you recently got your global entry to travel. Tell us about that process. Sure. So funny story here. ALA is the reason I have a passport. And I was not traveling internationally until my first national conference in Canada, which is crazy. And now when I was having my global entry interview, they were like, how many countries have you been in the past five years? And I previously filled out my application. So I knew that it was 21, which is crazy. That is crazy. To all of my employers, thank ALA for getting me on this international (laughs) travel bug. It is all their fault. Um, And so I was sitting down for this interview I like prepared because you know I interviewed for a living so it's like let me go in here prepared for this interview and they were asking questions they wanted me to list all these countries so I was pretty good going through the list and then they were like okay there's some more list another country I was like oh yeah and London and then the guy just looked at me and when I, I am awful with geography country states like I cannot name the 50 states cannot do it give me a map and you may get 10 and so he just looked he didn't say anything but you know when you like take an exam and like you did really bad you just walk out and like well what was this answer what did I do wrong <laughs> and you're talking to other people like oh no that's not what I got like this is not good and I was like did I really just say London to these people that is it's hilarious that is not a country and I was like well I'm just gonna be standing in lines the rest of my life because I did not pass that one <laughs> they're not um, gonna give it to you <laughs> they're not gonna give it to him like I messed this up but I, I got it so but that, that is, is hilarious but yes ALA my first stamp is in t- in Toronto um, Canada for for my first national conference. And that's also where they told they, some one of the speakers, they were like, ALA, you know, these some of these people are going to be your lifelong friends. You're going to build these connections. And I'm like six months in. I'm like, I am not going to be friends with anyone here. Like, what are they talking about? <laughs> um, and here we are, Jen and I at Coachella. I have silver hair in my head. Um, looking <laughs> nice. like, so it is crazy how all that worked out. But that's so true. Like when they say that about ALA, like in Chastity and I talk about this all the time, mentors, we have adopted people. They didn't agree. Right, Chastity? Something that I didn't even know. Like actually, like, you are. <laughs> we've been stalking you like professionally for years. We love you. Hi. Um, like mentorship is so important to us that we literally will adopt people who did not sign up. And we'll say, I want to give a shout out to Donna Williams. 
I had stole her, uh, you know, Tiffany Montgomery. They didn't even know what was happening. And next thing you know, they've been mentoring me for like seven to nine years. And they have been amazing. And it's generational mentorship that goes up and down. And we respect each other for their experience. Like, like Donna's like almost a chief of HR and been doing it for years and years and years, but she still asked me questions. I'm like, you really want to know my opinion? That's cool. Right. And then I can go to her because I know she has the experience. So mentorship is like so crucial. If you don't have a mentor, make sure you find a couple of mentors um, that can help you along. Yeah, I agree. And James Cornell, I mean, day one in ALA, when I joined the Austin chapter, he was just always there thinking of me like, oh, you should do this and look into this and look into that. And like, I don't, we never agreed on this mentorship thing, but it's like, well, <laughs> duh, James, of course you're my mentor. It's crazy that you didn't know that. Like, why didn't you know that? And so when he became president of the association, I was like, oh my gosh, my mentor is president. And he was just like, Chastity, you have to stop that at some point, but it's not going to stop. And still to this day, <laughs> Um, he's like continuing to like look out when there are opportunities or things and he's just like I'm top of mind for certain things for him so it's just great like to kind of find that and like have these people that are looking out for you and and building relationships with. Wow okay we're gonna move into our final segment and this is the segment we call Pitch Your Passion and it's just a forum for you to tell us what makes you tick what are you passionate about in life? Diversity pipelining is something that I'm most passionate about, especially in the legal field. And this is for staff and for attorneys. And it's truly just introducing more people of color to the business of law and to what it's like being a lawyer. I hear law firms talking, we need to increase our diversity numbers. And and while that is very important, it's also like just making sure that law firms have the cultures that make diverse candidates and employees feel welcome and feel like they have a place where they belong. And not to self-promote, but I'm actually doing a session on this at National Conference called Woo-hoo. You Belong Here. So you are self-promoting <laughs> is welcome and encouraged on this podcast because it makes me seem like less of a narcissist. So <laughs> nice. <laughs> yes. But that is what I'm truly passionate about. Introducing more people because I didn't really know about the business of law. Like and when you tell people like, oh I do HR, I do accounting at a lot, they're like, oh yeah, like it is a business. They do need those positions, but a lot of people just don't think about them that way. And then you introduce people to something early and like people who want to be lawyers and starting in high school and college and letting them know like this is the path that you can take to help you be more successful and like figuring out ways for law schools and law firms to partner up, you know, and build those pipelines with um, underrepresented communities to get more people into law and like truly have them being successful in these environments. I don't really think of diversity as like a melting pot and the assimilation and forcing everyone to be the same. Um, I think with diversity, equity, and inclusion, it is important that you kind of recognize the differences and accept people for their differences. And I think mm-hmm. there's going to be some give and take there, both from the employees that are joining these organizations, but a lot of give. Um, from the law firms and like reconsidering why they do things the way they do. And if they truly want to embrace these cultures and bring different people in, like how can they change some of the things to make people feel more welcome and like they have a place to belong? Love, love, love. That was great. Yeah, it yeah. really was. Thank you. So mine is more of from a single mother, um, teenage perspective. So, you know, I had my kid at 18. Um, now the story on that was I had a full scholarship, got pregnant. I was like, I'm still going to do this. I'm in my freshman year. 
sideways in my psychology 101 because I can't fit in that desk that's like an L shape, you know, with the arm bar. <laughs> so I'm really, really super pregnant, you know, taking my final. And, um, you know, I had, I, you know, I finished my final on winter break, had my child, and then I went right back to school because I had to. Because I didn't have, yeah, I had to go back to work. I had wow. to have, you know, that support. And, you know, I uh, had to go in the system and all the things you have to do. There is a, a organization in DC called Generation Hope, and it's all about the women who are trying to graduate, trying to help establish that foundation for their family, that if they just had that little bit of support, whatever it is, someone watched the kids, a little financial, some additional professional help. If there's an organization in your area that can help you just hit that next level, please support mm-hmm. it, whether it's financially, with your time, anything, your talent, going out there, giving them um, speeches or helping with their resume, please help them, please, because I know without people along my path, helping me being that guide or being that support system, I would not be the woman and mother that I am today. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Chastity Jenna, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you guys both for joining us today. We've enjoyed it. Thank you for having us. Thank you. It's been great. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Mostly Legal Podcast. If you like what you heard today, make sure you like and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. You can also check us out online on themostlylegalpodcast.com where you can sign up for our email list and you can get weekly recaps as well as some cool takeaways from each episode. Mm -hmm.